0: This is B-Sides. I'm Pastor Brandon. Every message has a side B, and this one is for Isaiah chapters 28 through 35, entitled, Hey, Not That Way. And today, visiting me in my office, I have Gio Montoya. Hello, everybody. And we are going to discuss um, this passage's relationship with Exodus chapter 14, Something I alluded to in the message, and we'll go a little more into that. But first, the key of this passage was Isaiah chapter 35. Just vivid, stunning, refreshing, amazing. What are your impressions
1: about it? Yeah, I think uh, it's so amazing how Isaiah gets this vision and he really, um, or this prophecy, and he really is able to see a restored, not only restored Israel, but a restoration for humanity. And so it's just really amazing how he describes it.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a people of God who are involved here. And there's a creation element that's involved here. And we see allusions to Jesus. We see allusions to uh, the future restoration of all things. And there's possibly some implications of um, what is going on in Isaiah's context. So actually, um, I want to talk about that right now. We'll talk about the layers of prophecy how a prophet will be looking at the future, but sometimes when something's far away, you can't tell that you're looking at three different things. So you're just describing it in one shot. Um, another way to think about this is if you're looking into a lake, you see the surface of the water. You might even see a fish swimming through in the middle of the water, and you may even see parts of the bottom floor of the lake right so you have these layers that you can see in one shot but some parts are clearer than
1: others right yeah yeah that's so amazing yeah because in a lake there's so much in a lake but you only so see so much of each and as you're talking about that actually what comes to mind is kind of like on a really hot summer day when you're looking afar into a blacktop and then you see the uh the wavy he coming off the black top, and it's it's, it's like you see the wavy heat, but you don't really see what's causing it or what's moving it or what's causing it to, uh, to happen. But obviously we know because of the signs, it's heat and stuff like that. In the same way, like I I feel like the prophecies that Isaiah is given, we don't really see how God is doing all this and how he's behind the scenes, but we do see these layers of prophecy that Isaiah is being given.
0: Yeah, precisely. So what Isaiah has been saying in this, in these chapters is trust God, don't trust the Egyptians in your day of trouble. Because Isaiah knows that well, it seems like he he realizes they aren't going to trust God and that they're in time going to fall. And so Isaiah 35, on one hand, the surface layer, the one that's right there obvious for Isaiah is, okay, they're going to fall into exile, right? Israel's going to go into a reverse exodus where they're going to leave the land and he's looking at a time. So that's like chapter 34 with all the desert and the wilderness right. that we had read about. Yeah, um, They're going to leave the land, but he's foreseeing in the near future, a time when Israel will be brought back to the land. And that's where it has a lot of the Exodus overtones is that there's this way, this highway that God will bring them through the wilderness and it will take them to a land that's fruitful. It's not desert, but there's waters gushing, right? And everything's healed and good. So one layer, we see Exodus 2.0. We see Israel coming back to the land. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. But then there's another layer and we see Jesus fulfilling this with uh, making the eyes of the blind open, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Jesus did that. Uh The lame man leaping like a deer. You remember mm. in Acts chapter 3 when John and Peter? Peter? Peter. Yeah. They tell the, the man that's begging, um, he's yeah, lame. He's asking for money. We don't have silver or gold, but what we do have,
1: we give to you. And he gets up, right? In the name of Jesus, rise up. Right, he gives him his hand, and he gets up. He jumps up, actually, like a deer. That's exactly
0: <laughs> it. Um uh, what is it? Walking and leaping and praising God. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I do not think that Luke, our author in Acts, um, r- described it that way coincidentally. I th- He was well steeped. When you read him and Isaiah together, you recognize that Luke was a master of Isaiah. And I think he was very purposefully portraying this guy as a fulfillment of this passage So we see a layer, a second layer right there of Isaiah's words coming true with Jesus, with the church, and that also includes you and I. I think that I, in my walk with God, have gone from chapter 34 to 35, from a desert to a promised land or a fruitful land or a garden. I think that it's also a passage about our soul and who we are and how we're being transformed. Really, in a sense, what we have is the desert in chapter 34 is death, and that's who i was and the will or the garden in chapter 35 is resurrection and that's who i'm becoming
1: yes and it's so interesting because uh in your teaching you were saying how In this desert, it's all the, there's all these wild beasts, but wild beasts that you would normally find in a desert, right? And so in our death, we could even feel like there's life, but there's not really life in us. Um, and so I think before, uh, that resurrection, uh, we could walk in life thinking, yeah, we, we still have life. We're still living. But without Christ there is no life because He is the life. And when we come to that point of, uh, revelation where our eyes are open to who Jesus Christ is and that we really need a Savior and, and take that step in, into the, the new land, then it, it it becomes evident that we never had life and so we see here like you were describing there was still wild beasts and stuff but then you go to chapter 35 and you see what real life looks like if you never saw the different if you never saw the new creation or the new promised land or the new life then would you even know that there what what life really was
0: it's so good in how chapter 35, the wild beasts, I love it. And then it says in chapter 35, no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast. Those animals are gone. Right. And when the New Testament talks about beasts, what comes to your mind?
1: Uh, the beast that you see in Revelation, uh, a beast that is no, it's something wicked, something that's not, uh, good or from God. Right. And that won't be there
0: anymore in Isaiah 35. But you also got me thinking about something I hadn't thought about till right now. And that is when Jesus came to lead us into this garden, into this wonderful restoration of Isaiah 35, He first went to the wilderness. Do you remember this? Yes. After his baptism, he goes into the wilderness and Mark, who doesn't actually give us the lengthy account of the three temptations, he gives us a very brief description. And Mark seems to be right, like on Isaiah's point here when he he says this, the spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. So you should be thinking Isaiah 34. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan And he was with the wild animals. Isn't that awesome? That is. He's with the wild animals. He's there in Isaiah 34. So he goes to the wilderness to turn it into from the inside out. He's taking this death and he's bringing life, not just to it, but out from it. And I think that's something that I'm beginning to realize is, like, as I'm trying to walk with God is I don't have to keep trying to, to pull things into me to make myself more righteous or godly or to help myself through my trials or to get through the situation or to grow. I don't need to pull things into me that God has already put it within me through his spirit. And I just need to let him pull it out from within
1: That's so interesting because that same passage that you're talking about that is recording in more than one gospel... Um, right before going into the wilderness, uh, Jesus gets baptized and it says the spirit of God uh shown like a dove, which is nice. where Calvary Chapel gets nice. the dove. But um uh the spirit of God that's shown like a dove and he it, it's a representation that he has the spirit of God in him. And we see in the desert when he's in the wilderness he's being tempted that he doesn't mm. uh first of all. 40 days without food or water, so basically without strength, in weakness, you would say, because he was fully human, fully God. Um, he was in weakness on, on his human side. Um, but it, it's a representation that he's not gathering from outside every single temptation that is overcoming the wilderness by Jesus is is done by the word of God, which resides in him. So he's not yeah. using anything external. That's good. Everything is within him. He's alone. Him. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's really interesting that you brought that up. So he relies upon God.
0: That is that is really good. And I, I think emphasizing the Holy Spirit there is so key because if we really think about it, who is the Holy Spirit? It's, it's an obvious answer. And no one would, no, no one who's been a Christian for any period of time would flunk this test if I said true or false, the Holy Spirit is God. Mm-hmm. Everyone would write true. But here's the reality is that we don't live. Like, that's true. We live like, yeah, yeah, we know the Holy Spirit's with us, and we kind of think of the Holy Spirit as sort of like the third power of the Godhead. <laughs> like, the Father's the all-powerful, and Jesus yeah. is like, second in command, and then, and then there's the Holy Spirit, who's kind of like the court jester who goes around and like, helps us out a little bit. Right, but, right. And, and I, I don't at all think that that's how it is, or believe that. I, I'm sort of making a caricature because, to, to sort of, el- uh, illuminate how we actually live. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we sort of
1: treat the Holy Spirit that way at times. Right, exactly. I think what you're really saying is just because we uh, say we believe something doesn't mean we live it that way. Right. And I think actions, uh, uh, I think the Bible speaks about doing things in word and in truth, in deed and in truth. And so um, we can say we believe something, but do we really live it that way? And I think Jesus did.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so I, part of what I was wanting us to do in the message was to draw upon that internal presence of God. Like, why do we have to reach out for Egypt or for horses or for chariots or, you know, and Egypt's obviously for us, it's a metaphor for so many things. Um It might be a self-help book. It might be even a pastor. Like, right. Some people can ride the coattails of their pastor because he's mm-hmm. got the power and I don't. Last I knew, the same Holy Spirit that lives in you lives in me and lives in everyone else who's listening right now. Like, yes. it, I don't think God gave us mm-hmm. <laughs> the better portion of myself to this person, cause why not? He's just awesome. Like, I don't, that's, God isn't like that. Right, exactly. He's free giving mm-hmm. and generous and he doesn't stop giving. It's we who stop receiving. Mm-hmm. So, um, it made me think of, Kind of behind the message and not mentioned are things like Second Peter chapter one, verse four, where he says that God has granted to us precious um, and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Mm. The divine nature is in me. So why why am I therefore afraid of leaning into my weakness? Why am I afraid of the fact? That's why I think Isaiah 35 is calling to our attention to strengthen your weak hands and to make firm your feeble knees and to say to those with an ancient heart, be strong. Anxious, not ancient, <laughs> anxious heart, be strong. Why? Because the divine nature is already in us. Why, where, why are you looking elsewhere? He's here to help us within. And so it also reminded me of something I, read earlier this week, Athanasius, who was one of the, like, early church fathers, 298 to 373 uh, AD, so really way back, right? He wrote this. He said, God in Christ became the bearer of flesh for a time so that humanity could become the bearer of spirit forever. Mm. So here we have God becomes flesh so that flesh can have a part of God in them. That's deep. That's awesome. Yeah. And so this was, uh, the, the further quote I read. This is not Athanasius anymore. It says, this was the great exchange. Jesus was meant to be the guarantee that divinity can indeed reside within humanity, which is always our great doubt and denial. And once that is possible, then most of our problems are already solved. Now we didn't say that, um, divinity becomes humanity or humanity becomes divinity. It says divinity can reside within humanity.
1: And that's what we're trying to emphasize. Can you explain just for the audience a little more further? I said, what do you mean by leaning into our weakness? If we actually
0: stop being afraid of the fact that God wants to inhabit us, then that will solve most of our problems. To realize, okay, you know what? Everything I need's here. I can lean into my weakness and not feel ashamed or unworthy or less than what i'm supposed to be like weakness is just simply part of the game and that's where that's where we can really lean on god's power so maybe that is sort of answering what you're asking. Like, yeah, what yeah, does it mean just, to lean? Uh, in?
1: Clarifications that we are all on the same page about leaning into our weakness means, uh-
0: yeah, don't avoid it, don't cover it, don't don't try to have. Well, if I make this friendship, then I won't have this weakness anymore. You're not growing that way. The only way that the garden comes, the, the Isaiah 35 garden grows, is when we acknowledge that there's wild beasts in the desert, and that it's the Spirit of God within us who will birth the fruits of the Spirit, as Paul says from the inside out. Yeah. It's about us trusting God to take care of our weakness.
1: Yeah, and I think I think you're completely right. Sometimes we're afraid to let God take charge, let God take lead, because we really feel like He's the one that's gonna take charge, and it's, and, and we're gonna mm-hmm. fail, where it's gonna be our weakness, it's gonna be exposed before Him, but He says, I'm gonna meet you where you're at, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna take that, and I want you to take part in me, I think it's something you were saying in your teaching, was talking about, uh, the, the Redeemer, or, um and basically speaking about how yeah, he's inviting us into his family he's making us his family even nice. when we're not and if we're going to be part of his family oh, that's good yeah then he then then, then we're going to have his nature
0: as well because that's what family is right i'm so glad he said that family are equals mm-hmm. and that's that's the trip like roman says we're co-heirs of christ yes it's not secondary heirs we're co-heirs right children of god son of god Now, I understand people get squeamish here because then you're like, wait, what? (laughs) Are you saying that we're the son of God? No, I think son of God is a title for Jesus. Yes. But I think that the, I think the New Testament writers knew what they're saying when they said children of God and knew that that's pretty close to son of God. I think their point is we become brothers and sisters. We become a family Mm. and that there is that equality. God yeah. I think taking us.
1: Son of God and and basically thinking, oh, you're automatically divinity is misunderstanding the title of Son of God because it really is that it's a it's, it's a title, it's a position that only one was mm-hmm. able to ful- fulfill. And so when we say that we're family, we're not saying like, oh yeah, we're divinity, we're we're divine as well, but rather the divinity dwells in us because of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ uh, did on the cross and the resurrection. Yes. So what God is really good at
0: doing is including us in himself mm-hmm. without absorbing or swallowing us. Yes. And I, if I'm recalling right, it's in um, the Screw Tape Letters, C.S. Lewis, where the demons are writing to each other and they say that their boss's aim, the devil, his aim is to actually absorb the wills of humans. So we're actually going to become one with something at some time. Mm. the question is, um, are we going to be absorbed into the powers of darkness and therefore kind of like, well, I've, or are we going to be included in God yet maintain an individuality in a sense? It's like union, yet you're not losing yourself at the same time.
1: Yeah, it's a good one because uh that's actually the next book that I'm going to be reading. Nice. <laughs> one Plug <of> my- <laughs> for you and everyone else. <laughs> yeah, one of the next books I'm going to be reading. Uh but secondly also because a lot of times we tend to think that there's like an in between. There's like this gray area. Like we could be halfway half foot in darkness and half foot uh in relation with God and we're good. Uh we we can barely make it, but the Bible never speaks about that. It says you're either, uh, in darkness or you're in a light. You're either part of me or you're not. There's no in between. And I think, uh, that's, that's really hard to take in because it's like, wait, what do you mean? Like, well, how, well, how do you, how, what do you mean that we can only be part of one or another? And, uh, but when you look at, um, when you look at God and who he is, then you realize, that anything that's other than the presence of God is just basically an absence of the presence of God Mm -hmm. and not really like, oh, I'm going to be jump over the fence and I'll be on the other side and then come back. No, it's either the presence of God is in you or the presence of God is not in you, Um, which is really interesting.
0: Going back to like leaning into our weakness, because of everything that we were just saying, I think it terrifies us. It terrifies us that God wants us this much. It terrifies us that he is actually elevating our status from, like, the scum of the universe to co-heirs with Christ. And if we actually took seriously, as Lewis calls it, the unblushing promises of the New Testament, then we would stop hiding. Or, I mean, we... If we took that seriously, um, we would be terrified. And I think we are like deep within. We know that, goodness, I'm not good enough. So we're trying not to get too close. We're trying not to let God have too much power. I think you said something like that earlier. And it, it brought to my mind the whole, we're afraid to let him in. We're afraid to let him in. And it's like Revelation 3 where it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Mm-hmm. We are like the church as a whole. We're just like that church, Laodicea, that like, yeah, Jesus, you're fine as a source or like as something part of what we're doing, but we don't actually want you in us that terrifies us. And, and a power that we don't understand. Well, what do we do with that? <laughs> um, but I think that's where, yeah, we, we needed to recognize that this is good news and we don't have to be terrified because God isn't going to discipline like our weaknesses. He's going to make them stronger. Like that's what he does.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's so good because I think about it is, is God a visitor in our hearts or is he a resident?
0: Oh, yeah. Because,
1: nice. uh, I think about my own home and, um, <laughs> it's hard to, if it's somebody that, that you, if we're being really honest, if it's somebody that you, um, don't trust, you're not going to make them a resident in a room in your house. Why? Because you have a family, you want to protect them. But if somebody that you trust, you open up your, all your doors to him. Say, you can, Anything in this house you can grab from the refrigerator, you can uh this this is gonna be your room, you can use a bathroom whenever you want, take a shower, whatever it may be, and so with God I think sometimes we can do that. We can say, God, you're you're allowed to come in but only this far. Um but I don't really trust you enough for you to become a full resident where you can just roam about as you please. But if we did let him, wouldn't it
0: be true? the verse we read in the message, Isaiah 30 verse 15 in returning and rest, you shall be saved in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Yes. I mean, wouldn't we actually be so much more at peace and rest if we just let him in? That's so true. I think a lot of our, our restlessness and our agitation is that we're avoiding the inevitable. We're avoiding the God who will not stop pursuing us until he gets in. And Man, just give up. And it's almost like that's what Israel's doing. They're putting up all these fights and they're, they're, it's almost like they're going out of their way to go to Egypt. And Isaiah, in fact, that's the whole point of this message. Hey, not that way. Like, you guys, <laughs> this is the way. And Isaiah 35 talks about the highway and how the redeemed will be walking on it. God's given us a way. We just have to let him in. And there's peace and quiet. Speaking, Speaking of ways, um, Israel doesn't think there's a way, but then God makes a way when they're backed up at the Red Sea. Right, exactly. And you were sharing some really cool um, sort of elaborations on that Exodus 14 theme within the text.
1: Yeah, so in Exodus 14... 14- um, verse 13, what it says is this. He says, and Moses said to the people, so think about it this way. They're up against, their back is up against the sea. Um, they're, they're facing the Egyptians who are coming at them and, and Moses is leading them and God is with them in the, in the cloud. And he says in verse 13, Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. And so we see here that, um, God doesn't force them into the sea and say, hey, look at, I've opened it for you, go into the sea. But rather he says, uh, what Moses is communicating to them is to fear not and to stand firm, which is interesting because in Isaiah chapter 35 verse 3, mm-hmm. uh, speaking about this restoration, this land, this promised land, he says in verse 3, strengthen, the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. So in these two, in these two chapters that are far away from each other, really, (laughs) um, he's both speaking about standing firm in God's word, standing firm in the promises Mm -hmm. that he has for us. But, also he's speaking about salvation the salvation where he speaks about a restored form, a restored place. And so what we see is that something you mentioned was, that really stuck out to me in your teaching was about horses and chariots and how they were trusting in these horses and mm-hmm. chariots, uh, uh, trying to trust in them in this moment. But then in Exodus, what we see is that they're running from these horses and chariots. And when God opens the Red Sea uh, through Moses, what ends up happening is that as the last Israelites cross the sea and get out of the sea, then what we see is the chariots and the um, the horses are all uh um, basically they they're all destroyed by the closing of the Red Sea by by, by God taking care of Israel. And so it's so interesting that um Israel didn't have the manpower, the tools, the weapons to uh, fight the Egyptian army, who were one of the superpowers in the world, mm. and and they didn't have any of that to so they face had to them. Lean into their weakness, so they had to lean into their weakness. They had to stand firm in the God's in God's promises, and mm. their in their weakness, God opens the Red Sea. So he doesn't he doesn't say oh watch look at I open the retina cross he says stand firm first he lets them panic a bit to yes, feel the exactly. lack that they have next to this mighty Egyptian army full of horsemen and chariots right exactly and so Whoa. we we see this and 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 he, what we really see is that um, where they're really going is from uh, slavery to. Um, to headed to the Promised Land, but it's really not on the other side. It's it's somewhere down the road. They have to still cross mm-hmm. yeah. a little longer. Yeah, gardens don't bloom overnight, <laughs> right? But that
0: th- that is something that just the horses and chariots. It just it really gripped me and my studying for this realizing that it's the exact same phrase like Isaiah clearly is preaching to them something that they know you guys remember last time we dealt with Egypt you remember the Red Sea when you were weak and helpless um you know so I, I just want to like just really make it tangible for everyone um by reading the actual verses here so Exodus fourteen verse seventeen. This is right after Moses says, "Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord." Um uh, In fourteen seventeen, God says, "I will, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them into the Red Sea after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen." And so then Isaiah chapter thirty one. This is where he says, Hey, not that way. It's one of the times he says that. He says, Hey, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in, now here it is, same words, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult Yahweh. So, <laughs> okay, there are many and they're strong. They're flashy. You see them like, ooh, that's power. But God's, Well, Isaiah, God through Isaiah is trying to remind them: "You've seen how this story ends before. Like, what? You you don't think that I can do it again?" (sighs) He does do it again. We're going to see next week. Little teaser for everyone. I mean, I think the chapters that come up, how the Assyrian army is defeated without an arrow being shot—that's about as close to the parting of the Red Sea as it gets. Exactly. Pretty miraculous. In fact. I don't know if I can say it's more. It's just totally
1: equal. It's just totally miraculous. Yes, it is very miraculous. And it's interesting because as you're talking about, um, Israel and the place that we're at in, and, and basically, um, how your, your title for your message was not that way. And it's, I think, um, in the same way on a day to day basis, we face those situations where it's like, Uh, do we go this way or do we go that way? Do we choose this or do we choose that? Mm -hmm. And I think it's a constant, do I choose? Christ, Or do I choose Ooh. this? And as i Do I choose thinking, the tree of knowledge or the tree of life? Yeah, exactly. And as I'm thinking about this and what comes to mind is Philippians 4, 7, where he says that he will give uh, uh, mm-hmm. a peace that surpasses all understanding. Because we look at Israel where they were at in Exodus and where they were at in Isaiah. And they were in this place where they either... Uh, try to understand, uh, with their own eyes, with their own ears, with their own knowledge. Or they completely just gave it to faith over to the Lord and said, mm-hmm. we're going to trust you. So in Exodus, we see them that they trust God and through Moses, the Red Sea is opened. And so they're saved from the Egyptian army. Uh, unfortunately, in um, in um Isaiah, we don't see this, the same thing immediately. It's a more a futuristic kind of thing or everything is in the future is what we're saying. But re- really it's more farther in the future than, than in the present and so um i think what what it really comes down to is uh um do we try to understand things with our own reasoning or mm. are we willing to just lean in our mm. weaknesses which means are we willing to accept that we we don't know and that we are weak but we're going to trust that god knows that god is going to be the hope that he so promises confident expectation
0: yeah Oh man, this is tying in so well to the main verse from the week before Isaiah 26, verse three, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Mm. So there we go. Peace, trust, relying on him. Like it's all, I. I mean, Isaiah's message, I think from chapters one through 35 has just been very clear. Israel is in political trouble. Don't turn to politics to settle your political troubles. And turn to God. And I think that's a good lesson for us in many areas of life. I think we think so narrowly. Like, no, this is a, this is a political problem, so it has to be solved with politics. Or this is a financial problem, so it has to be solved with finances. I mean, that's very logical, right? But there we are, trusting in our reasoning, just in our logic, um, I think it was at least attributed to Einstein who said, um, you cannot, you cannot solve a problem with the same consciousness that created it. Hmm. So you have to, you have to go to, uh, I hate to say it cause <laughs> it's <laughs> a higher power, which we would simply we go to God. But, but just to, like, kind of break down the analogy is you have to go to s- something that is greater. Um, and so we turn to God within us and trust there, right? We We lean in to our weakness and say, it feels like weakness, but because God lives within me, it's not. And we're going to see the desert bloom when all is said and done. I love how the Bible always ends well. Yes. There's a, there's a lot of dark places But it always ends well And that's where we can always hang our hat Yeah I know that's awesome If people still hang hats these days <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of hanging hats Let's hang this hat Boy I'm cheesy segues today um, So that's uh, that's Hey not that way From Isaiah 28 Through 35 So next Sunday's passage Is Isaiah 30 six through 39 it closes the first part the first movement of isaiah and it closes it very climatically and very it doesn't really resolve you'll hear there's a cliffhanger that the first half of the book ends on and the last half of the book is hope and it's implying the answer to the implied ending of the cliffhanger if you don't follow that read it and see if you can figure it out uh, well
1: geo thanks for joining us Oh, you're welcome. It's always a pleasure to be here and be able to, uh, really, uh, bounce around these ideas that sometimes we just tend to keep in. Yeah. So this is Pastor Brandon with grace and gratitude. Thanks for listening.